listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Hello and welcome to the really useful podcast. My name is Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's quite the intro. <laughs> yeah, enough of that. How are you? You all right? Very well, Christian. Very, very well. I tell you, I've actually just done one of those really frustrating things where uh, I, I bought some cables to go into one of my computers and um, I was looking for them all yesterday evening. This morning, I've been going around the house, looking for them, picking everything up, tidying as I went. Yeah. Only to realise they're right in front of me on my desk. Oh no! <laughs> they're not even out of view. I just somehow have just walked past them so they've, many times, and then now I've just looked, and they're right yeah. there. They've become part of the furniture, haven't they? Yes, exactly. Part of the landscape, exactly. and you just got used yes. to them. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah. I think we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you, Christian? How are you? I'm all right. Well, I've had a trip to Portugal, and I am back now. It's the first time I've been abroad for um, a long time, and the first time I've had a proper break from everything for a long time. So um, I've come back, and I found that uh, the Really Useful podcast has been gone live, and we've got a new logo as well. Have you seen the new logo? I think I've seen the new logo. I saw Spotify, I think. Yeah, was it is. The new logo? Yeah, yes, like it is. It. Yeah, it's, it's red. We, we we used to have a blue one going back to the very... This, well, going back to the very first episode, we had a blue one. And uh, in those days, it, the podcast was not really part of Make Use Of, but of course it is now, and the new logo reflects that, so I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, so uh, we are back with news and tips and tricks, uh, following a few weeks of just tips and tricks, and and uh, so we'll do the news, and we'll do the tips and tricks, and then we'll finish with some recommendations for you. Just before we do any of that, though, Gavin, I've just noticed a new feature on uh, the Google News feed on Android. Oh, have you? I think it came along while I was away. You know when uh, things come up into your feed and they're not particularly interesting, so you press the uh, three buttons and click not interested in this? Yes. There's a new entry that says not interested in a topic, and you click that, and that gives you... So, for instance, I've just clicked uh, Nokia NX Concept, My Dream Nokia Phone Explored. Uh-huh. And then I've clicked the um, a, uh, pick topics that you're not interested in option on the three buttons. And then I can tap uh, HMD Global... Microsoft Lumia on Nokia to um, re- reduce the ah. likelihood of that category coming up again. Uh, there's another one. Airplane-sized asteroid found two days after brushed by Earth. Not interested in a topic. I can have space, asteroid impact, asteroid, meteoroid, Earth. So that's a very good um, new feature and a new way to so, like, filter things down a bit better. That's really good. So I have, I'm just looking at mine. Uh, I don't have that yet. So maybe ah. you've received that update uh, ahead of time or a part of a test maybe because i've still got the original right uh like two options uh, for for example on a story about electric bikes i've got not interested in electric bikes or don't show content from the website source yeah that's what i used to get yeah yeah oh that's interesting that's good a bit more granularity yeah there is, it would be well received definitely definitely okay so we're, we're going to kick off there's uh I'm going to be honest, there's a bit of an AI-heavy theme to uh, this week's news. There's been a lot of AI stuff going on, 
uh, basically. We'll um, start with ChatGPT owner in probe over risks around false answers. Now, we've all seen false responses from OpenAI and ChatGPT's uh, interface to that, haven't we? And it's becoming a bit of an issue for people, it seems, to the extent that uh, even uh, appearing before Congress earlier this year, um, Altman... Altman, Sam Altman of uh, OpenAI, uh, told Congress that it could be a source of errors. And, you know, um, we've, we've both, Gavin, and I'm sure most of the people listening who have an interest in the AI topic um, and ChatGPT have heard about instances where people have used it, submitted work with it and found out that it was error prone or they've read through it and found out there's mistakes in it. I've um, had a play around with things for one of my projects outside of make use of and found that it repeats things um so it's not really something it's not a fire and forget solution is it uh no it's certainly not and i think one of the things that people have said uh, about chat gpt and other generative uh, ai tools like this is they're effectively only as good as the person using them like yeah. many tools in life really and if you know what you're talking about, you can read through it and probably spot the errors. Uh, whereas if you are using it to try and generate content that you don't have an understanding of, you're not going to be able to, are you, basically? Um, in this case, I think uh, Sam Altman's just being quite open about it, though, isn't he? He's actually yeah. presenting it in a way, saying you should not be using it necessarily in the manner that some people are that it can generate fake statements and people using it in um situations like where it's been used in uh, courtrooms particularly we've seen uh, where people have found it creates false precedents and mm. just creates these fake sources and then people aren't doing their own due diligence and uh, getting called out but i think yeah. altman's being quite quite honest about it in yeah yeah ways. so the um, federal trade commission in the u.s has sent a letter to uh open ai backed by microsoft among other businesses on how it uh, plans to um address risks to reputations i think this is one that's going to roll on and on isn't it really it's it's not something they're going to be able to solve straight away but i mean at least it's being looked at at the right levels i suppose yeah there is that but i think part of it as well you can also get these generative ai chatbots to say whatever you want yeah so we've seen many um i want to say doctored because they're not doctored but they're like it's a setup screenshot where um someone says to chat gpt for example when i respond uh, when i type x you will respond y and then they screenshot the chatbot saying whatever they've been told to say mm -hmm. next and then that's presented as fact which kind of it loops back into it but equally um you're not going to be able to stop that people are going to use these chatbots to do that regardless of whether they can make improvements to the issues like ai hallucination and, and things like that which they should do i'm not saying that they shouldn't they absolutely should work on that but it's not going to make the issue of chat gpt and other chatbots being used for uh disinformation for for want of a better word yeah yeah okay showbiz news now um it feels like um <laughs> uh, u.s comedian sil uh beg your pardon u.s comedian sarah silverman has announced that she is suing open ai and meta 
alleging that her copyright has been infringed in the training of their AI systems, reports the BBC. Um, they've, both companies have um, declined to comment on this. Sarah Silverman and a few other people um, are alleging that their material has been used to train these systems without their consent, basically. It's a bit worrying, isn't it? Uh, it is in, in many ways. Um, so part of this is concerns where the information has come from that she believes ChatGPT uh, has in its, in its database. Um, and so the, the information that's been scanned has come from an illegal torrent, basically, yeah. which I think she's also partially miffed at. So she's trying to say that it shouldn't be able to give a good overview of, of her book, um, which is frustrating because she's saying people are going to use that instead of buying the book. Yeah. It's a fair, fair issue. But her argument doesn't actually contend with the fact that she a is a very famous comedian she's worked on heaps and heaps of shows you know she's she's a global name basically isn't she yeah um and that her book has probably been reviewed over and over and over again as part of whatever promotional campaign she did there's probably snippets of it online uh for promotional purposes as well and all of that can feed back into chat gpt as well so while there is definitely an issue with where chat gpt maybe got their information from saying that she's gonna sue open ai and meta because their ai models can reproduce or at least talk about her book factually i don't think she's really got a leg to stand on that will be interesting i um I don't. I. I. I'm. I'm. She blows hot and cold with me, so uh, I don't want to see her um, <laughs> fall or fail or anything like that. But it will be an interesting no. uh, sort of uh, uh, water dip temperature check of the whole situation, wouldn't it? How this turns out. It is, yeah, and I think so. In the EU, um, they are sort of trying to draft laws. The EU AI Act, which is currently going through uh, the European courts and stuff. Uh, part of that regulation is directly aimed at this. So, um, chatbot, sorry, AI chatbot uh, developers would have to be a lot more open about where they get their information from, which in theory should put pay to them using slightly sketchier sources um, and, you know, downloading things from like um, torrents and stuff like that and then training their AI on that but the flip side of that of course was it may well make uh, the use of AI chatbots more expensive in the long run of course of course and on a um, slightly related tangent uh, the TV show Black Mirror uh, which uh, you've probably heard of um, uh, created by um, Charlie Brooker has um, inspired some bad feeling in the ongoing uh, conflict over in the US at the moment with regards to the uh, Screen Actors Guild uh, failing to reach an agreement for uh, better protections in the industry against AI. Now there's a very interesting quote here, uh, this is the BBC repeat, uh, reporting this again, filmmaker and writer Justine Bateman spoke to the BBC stating tech should solve a problem and there's no problem that those using AI solves. We don't have a lack of writers, we don't have a lack of actors, we don't have a lack of filmmakers, so we don't need AI. 
The problem it solves is for the corporations that feel they don't have wide enough profit margins because if you can eliminate the overhead of having to pay everyone, you can appease Wall Street and have greater earnings reports. If AI use proliferates the entertainment industry, it will crater the entire structure of this business. That's pretty damning, isn't it? It is pretty damning. Uh, it's quite interesting as well because when the... Uh, the the writers went on strike. That was recently as well, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, a few weeks or maybe a month or so ago. Um, there was some interest in it because of the direct correlation of uh, generative AI chatbots who write things directly. So it's like, ah, writers are under attack. You don't necessarily think of actors, uh, actresses, to be under threat from AI, do you? It's not a natural. No go to and more interestingly it's not just like people who are um stage extras or, and what have you that are making this call it's, it's like big names meryl streep jennifer lawrence uh quinta quinta brunson uh, and many others are uh stepping up and standing up for this um because i've read elsewhere as well interestingly that this is something that has been done for a while so people who apply to be extras have had their faces scanned so that they can be used uh in films more than once and they didn't necessarily realize at the time what was going on it certainly wasn't made clear to them that their face and their likeness would be kept on record and used without being being notified so it is concerning yeah absolutely um i mean I don't think she's entirely right. I think there are uses for AI in the movie industry, just as there are in other industries. But I'm not necessarily saying, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that anyone should be losing their jobs by the use of that um, use of AI. I'm talking organisational things, uh, productivity things, not sacking people and using a CGI model and replacing them or sacking composers and using AI. And what I'm saying is using it for organisational things, using it for productivity things, um, you know, making process is more efficient not sacking people not refusing to hire people because there's a digital alternative i don't think that's the way forward at all no i i, I totally agree it's one of those um it's like a race to the bottom isn't it as we'll see in in many industries um the industry that you and i work in christian we've seen whole sets of writers and editors fired um, because they want them to produce AI written content and they only need one editor to do that. And um, the backlash against those publications should, should be strong. Now, as noted earlier in the show, I've been away for a couple of weeks and obviously the podcast has uh, carried on. I've, uh, you know, pre-edited and scheduled them and they all went live and everything thanks to Gavin for helping out with that and also what happened when I was away is that like there's a new social network launched <laughs> just popped up overnight <laughs> yeah I didn't see that coming at all um so yeah Twitter has a new competitor well it calls itself a competitor uh it's called Threads and it comes from Meta which we say these days instead of Facebook. Don't know why. You know, it's been touted as a uh, as a nicer alternative to Twitter with with more censorship 
because uh, what what everyone yeah. was crying, I'm I'm not, I'm not convinced people wanted more censorship as an alternative to Twitter. But there you go. Anyway, so uh, we've got loads of material on make use of about threads. I'll just go through a, a list of things that you might want to check out. You, you can find out how to uh, sign up to use Threads and what to be aware of before joining it, and whether it it has data collection that's bad or you can cope with it, reasons to avoid threads maybe, how to try new threads features, how to deactivate your account and uh, whether it's true or not that it's uh, completely locked to your Instagram account and you can never delete it unless you delete Instagram. All of those questions are answered on Make Use Of. But the one I was more interested in is five reasons why Twitter should be worried about Meta's threads. So um, I haven't had the opportunity to use threads yet. I'm, I'm barely getting to grips with Instagram, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, um, so Instagram has a massive user base, obviously, and because Threads is linked to Instagram, then there's an automatic advantage for Threads, and it has a familiar user interface. That um, I mean, it's kind of very much like Twitter, but also with an Instagram aspect to it. So, oh, I mean, you could just call it a straight. Twitter ripoff, but you wouldn't. Um, Twitter critics are seeking a new refuge, and uh, Threads is uh, the latest after um, all the um, all the uh, attempts to uh, leave to but for people to go to Mastodon. A lot of people went to Mastodon for like a fortnight and went back to Twitter. Um, now Mastodon's part of the Fediverse. This isn't, as I like to think, the fictional universe of uh, Kevin Federline. <laughs> um, but. I don't know why they chose our name. I really don't. It's just what I think of straight away. It is, however, a um, it's an interconnected collection of servers that uh, allow users to communicate with each other, um, which Mastodon is part of, and uh, Threads pa- plans to be part of the Fediverse. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's anything for Twitter to be concerned about. Um, I think the Fediverse has a very long way to go before it can uh, claim to be any form of... Uh, uh, competition but anyway and uh, meta has vast resources that twitter possibly doesn't have um then again i mean money wise yes but user wise i think that's a different question entirely a lot of facebook accounts certainly in my sphere seem to be pretty much dormant these days but uh that's uh, you know your mileage may vary what do you think gavin um i think after the initial surge, it's very difficult to judge anything like this in the immediate aftermath of a launch, isn't it? So everybody yeah. surges in, everybody's interested in it, um, it will die down to more regular levels. Um, I also think the link to the Instagram account is a way of artificially inflating numbers. Um, if you can't delete your yeah, account definitely. properly, then numbers will remain artificially high after everybody creates an account to look at it and doesn't even use it. So active number of users versus total uh, sort of the figures you'd really want to be knowing about. Um, From what I've seen of it as well, Christian, is that it only works properly if you're an Instagram user. So for someone like me, I don't use Instagram. I have no interest in it. So going over there, I would just have a completely blank account because I'd have to populate it with people that I'd want to follow also on Instagram. So uh, as someone who I use Twitter quite a lot for for work and following various other things, and I find it useful even with the 
changes that have gone on since uh, Elon Musk took it over. It's still a useful tool for me, despite the blue ticks and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, hit hit and miss for me. Hit and miss. Hit and miss. Okay. So yeah, um, if um, we did have a, a vague idea of actually setting up an account during the recording of the podcast and seeing what happened, but uh, you know, there's too many social networks, and I think you know, I've already got like, I've got too many Twitter accounts already. I don't really need, and then I've got too many Instagram accounts as well because I'm look after an Instagram account for my children uh, who are um, dancers. So I don't really, you know. I might do it one day. I'm not going to do it today, but it just feels like too much. And maybe that is a big problem just going forward for everyone when it comes to social networks. There are just too many social networks all vying for attention and time, and time particularly, um, that we really increasingly don't have these days. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's like muscling into the market, isn't it? At, at the opportune moment as well, where Twitter is taking a bit of a beating from from all angles but like you said i just why <laughs> not another one please not another one <laughs> yeah it's um you know i was looking at and, and i mentioned it earlier on i was looking at um it's the 10th anniversary of the release of one of the windows phones one uh, the last windows phone from nokia and it's kind of that felt like microsoft kind of trying to muscle in to the mobile phone market but they did it in such a way that they actually had quite a good product that they just couldn't be bothered backing properly yes this is the other way around this feels like a rip-off of twitter and it's a muscle in with the figures to back it but i'm not really sure it's got the magnetism that it requires has it no for sure and it if you're just following the same people on every single platform, like what's yes. the point? <laughs> like, that's the biggest bit I don't get. Hang on, wait. <laughs> Absolutely that. <laughs> makes no sense. It makes no sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Now, we're going to move on. And before we do that, though, well, no, as part of doing that, right, Gavin, you have to... You have to accept my apologies for this because we, we every time we record a show, we collect a series of links and we discuss whether we're going to use these or not. And we usually say, yes, 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 yes. Here's another one, whatever. But the, the thing is, I've already disrupted the flow of the show once with a uh, um, something at the beginning concerning uh, Google News on Android. And there's something that's happened to me in the past few weeks that I really need to share. And this might just like sort of like completely throw the rest of the podcast that we've got planned. Are you okay with that? <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Right, Love okay. a bit of a change. <laughs> okay, now listen. Um, I haven't been on holiday for many, many years outside of the UK. I've been to different parts of the UK. I've been to Scotland, I've been to Wales, all around England, um, but I haven't left the British Isles. I haven't crossed the water. I haven't been on an aeroplane since 2008 or 2009. Und it's, a bit, it's a bit woolly. Um, until a couple of weeks ago. Now, I have a mobile phone. I wasn't planning on doing any work, but I knew we'd probably need internet access because the place we were staying in, which was an Airbnb, didn't have internet access. And um, now I currently have a Vodafone uh, deal that is um, probably gives me about 100 gigabytes a month, which is more than enough for the entire family when we're out and about. Obviously, it's merge on the phone's battery, but that's another matter entirely. Now, I contacted Vodafone. They told me I had free roaming, but it was only 20 gigabytes. And I thought to myself, we can maybe make that work 
if the children download a load of stuff to their tablets first. How wrong was I? We'd run out by about six days into the holiday. Oh, no way. Yes. <laughs> Mainly due to car trips. Because we had a pool, so there's hardly any internet usage at the, at the, um, at the residency. But um, unfortunately, we ran out. So we were in Portugal, northern Portugal, staying near Braga, which is a beautiful, beautiful city. And we found, I found a, um, a Vodafone store. So I went in there and I met a lovely lady who helped me. She worked there. She, I just didn't meet her in there. She helped me out instantly. Within five minutes, I had unlimited mobile internet for 30 euros for the rest of the month. Was, wow. Yeah, exactly. Now, we're told, and I imagine this is the same in the US. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure it is that you know, you, you, roaming fees are expensive, but you have the opportunity to, you know, switch your SIM with, um, you know, add, you know, maybe a, a roaming add-on or whatever, wherever you're going in the world or in the European Union yeah. in our case, but usually anywhere in the world is, is keep your same SIM card and, you know, just, just get this add-on, pay for this add-on and use that while you're abroad. I would say, don't do that. I would say, when you're abroad, go to Vodafone, go to T-Mobile, go to whatever and buy a SIM card for a month with the best data you can get it. Because this just changed everything completely overnight. Oh, that's interesting. So instead of... Because the add-ons you're talking about can actually be quite expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I paid £25 for the 20 gigabytes add-on. Com- wow, as opposed yeah. to €30, Euros, which is about £25 for unlimited internet while I was over there. Now, I have a dual SIM phone, so obviously I have a bit of an advantage on that score. But I would say if you don't have a dual SIM phone, you can also buy a mobile router. Yeah, they're really handy. And uh, actually, the ones these days as well, I think the last one I used was, was years ago now when it was a Vodafone one. And it was uh, it was a combination of it being not very good technology, but being in the middle of the Czech Republic oh. where there was no no reception anyway. Oh, no. It's like, so standing with like one arm out of the window, holding the router and hoping to transmit it across the room to my laptop. <laughs> That's a Mr. Bean episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's very interesting, though. So uh, going local, uh, because they're all the big name brands, aren't they? Like you yeah. said, Vodafone, T-Mobile, etc., etc. So you're not going to be in an unfamiliar situation with some sort of random, random network. Exactly. It it just changed everything over, like not even overnight, because you know, I got it back to the villa, put in the extra SIM card, and boom. Everyone had as much internet as they could eat, (laughs) which was useful because it had started raining that day as well. There you go. Top tip. I like that, Christian. Good shout. It's recommendations time in which we um, bring to you uh, something that we've experienced or enjoyed, hardware, software, um, is, is media wear a thing? Whatever. Um, and uh, we, we share it with you and uh, encourage you to check it out yourself. Um, who wants to go first? Um, I can go first if you okay. like, Christian. Is it the bike? Yeah. Is it the bike? It's not oh, okay. the bike. <laughs> it's not the bike. It's the phone. Okay. <laughs> it's the phone. Uh, so I've had the pleasure of uh, reviewing the Nothing Phone 2, which is the second iteration of... Um, uh, British-based, they are British-based, nothing um, tech company, and their whole ethos is they want to try and 
change up and, and shake up how technology looks. So the biggest part of this smartphone is that it has a transparent rear panel. Uh, and within that rear panel are a set of LED lights. And the LEDs uh, light up and flash when various things happen on the phone, which, you know, it, it's cool. And that's a, a nice sort of gimmicky feature to have. Um, it's a great feature, but it's not actually what makes this a really good phone. Uh, since the last version of this phone was released in early July 2022, they have upgraded the processor in it significantly. It's got a much better screen. The screen is now uh, slightly larger at 6.7 inches versus 6.55 for the previous one. And they've also made a lot of refinements to the Nothing OS, uh, which is an Android-based operating system with some tweaks uh, to make it stylized, you know, the Nothing sort of branding. I'm just really impressed with what they've done to it, to be honest. It's a significant upgrade on the previous version, which was well-received, but was very much... Uh, uh, it was mid-range phone but was sort of lagging behind where a lot of the other mid-range phones were at the same time. This one feels like it can compete more directly with some of the like OnePlus models, Samsung models and stuff like right. that. Um, so it's, it's, it's all around improvements. And I've switched it to being my daily phone now, which Ooh. the previous version, I was switching between that and a OnePlus Nord, which I kind of preferred, but I've now switched to the Nothing Phone 2 full-time, so that's a, that's a good show. High praise indeed. Mm. Okay, my recommendation is the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus handheld oh, okay. retro gaming system, which runs on Android, and it has like um, dual CPU and uh, foggy four gigabytes of RAM, and uh, they're about £200, around and the same in dollarage, I think. I don't know if anyone's ever said dollarage before. Um, I encourage you all to start <laughs> saying it. And uh, basically, it runs Android. It has a bunch of emulators built into it. They're, um, it's also it's all Nintendo. Uh, it's all co console-based emulators that are built in. You can get other emulators on there, but the ones that are built in are, um, are all console, classic console. So uh, the Nintendo NES and Super NES and uh, Sega Master System and Sega Mega Drive. And there's Dreamcast in there, Neo Geo, PC Engine, all sorts of those sorts of things. And, um, yeah, and, oh, and Sony PlayStation 1 as well. And so you basically, the easiest way to do it um, is to um, save your ROMs to a um, SD card, micro SD card, insert it, and then you can just uh, scan for the ROMs and start playing. But also, it also has the um, Google Play Store. So you can also grab stuff like, um, well, any game, really, um, but particularly for retro purposes, the um, the Sega collection that's on um, Google Play. Um, play play those games on there as well. And, yeah, it's, um, it's just lightweight. It charges well and... Um, keeps its battery for a while and uh, has a lovely display and everything's responsive and I took it on holiday and I loved it. Oh, that's really cool. You know what? I I actually almost bought one of those recently. Oh. I was looking at one as well because I have the 
and Burnick, or however you say right, it, yeah. uh, retro handheld that we talked about a little while yes. back. And I was like, I really like that, but I'd like a bigger screen. Ah. <laughs> so I almost bought that as well. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I don't... The thing is, I, I, I have a collection of retro consoles. Um, <laughs> and I probably use the... Um, the Evercade EXP is probably the one I use the most. Um, this one I can see being used almost as much. Um, actually, I should probably mention this point. Um, Evercade's um, owners have announced a um, new console coming out. Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen that. That's cool. It's an Evercade compatible, but it has stripped down features and it comes with some games built in. It's called the Super Pocket and it plays Evercade cards. But there's two editions. There's the Super Pocket Tato edition and the Super Pocket Capcom edition. Okay. Each edition has games built into it. So there's 17 games on the Tato edition and 12 games on the Capcom edition. So I'm duty-bound to buy one of these, basically. <laughs> and if only because the Tato games haven't come out on the um, EXP. Whereas the Capcom ones, or any of the Evercades, whereas the Capcom ones have, they're pre most of the same games have been installed on the Evercade EXP. So um, I thought, well, I might as well get one of these. But, as I say, I'm just getting it because for that collection of games, knowing that they've been fine-tuned for the hardware, etc. And that's one of the problems you have with emulation, isn't it? It's that um, while the emulators might be hard-tuned for the hardware, the actual software, you, you, the ROMs that you load up aren't necessarily... And while I haven't yet come into come across any problems using ROMs with the um, the Retroid Pocket Three Plus, there's always that possibility that that will happen, and then you end up sort of um, hooking up the USB cable or searching through using the file browser, easier with the USB cable on your PC, finding the ROM, finding the problem. You know, I've had all sorts of problems with ROMs in the past. So, um, for instance, PAL ROMs versus NTSC ROMs for. for classic yeah. consoles um, you have difficulty with those in the UK um, so I, I do enjoy using the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus and I would recommend it but there's there's always that possibility that things won't turn out as you expect them to when you load up a ROM whereas with something with the curated thing like Evercade uh, offers um, that issue is largely mitigated but um, I'm going to be reviewing the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus for uh, Make Use Of shortly um, so that should be along later this week I believe Oh, I look forward to reading that one. Yeah, ideal. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Really Useful Podcast. If we have brought to you any new information that you think a friend or family member could um, benefit from, then please share us. Um, if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome as well. And if it's a uh, five-star review, I might even read it out. Right. Yeah. How's that That's for an cool. offer? Um, <laughs> we'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us. 